Um, please rise for the reading of God's word. The passage for today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1 to 3. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sat out for the place God had told him about. But God bless the reading of this word. You may be seated. Today we're concluding our study of the life of Abraham, looking at the uh, <clears throat> definitive climactic event of his life. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that uh, not only do we get a, an insight into the people you dealt with in the past, but it just has so much application to what we are going through in our lives today. And uh, just thank you that... Uh, you make it real as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to James 2.23, Abraham was a friend of God. And his life was distinguished by great acts of faith, but also by some great failures. But God didn't give up on him. And as a faithful friend, he kept his promise to him right on schedule. In Genesis 21, it talks about how Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And so this became the happiest place on earth. They didn't need Disneyland. They saw God's promise, impossible promise, fulfilled. And so they all lived happily ever after, or at least until Abraham's next mistake. But then again, it's also possible that Abraham has finally learned to trust God in everything. Because one of the reasons God didn't give up on Abraham was because he saw his potential. That eventually Abraham would be capable of great faith without faltering. And we see that here in chapter 22. And as we've already pointed out, this is Easter week. It's when our Heavenly Father sacrificed His only Son for our salvation. He did that because there was no other way. And it is impossible for us to understand the anguish of that event. The song we sung earlier, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. But I think the man who came closest to understanding the heartache of God's sacrifice was Abraham. Because in chapter 22, Abraham was given the gift of understanding. It says sometime later, God tested Abraham. I don't like the sound of that because I don't like to be tested. Why, God, do we have to be tested? Well, there are many reasons why God tests us 
And one of them is mentioned in James chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, the passage that Gary preached on a few weeks ago. And it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. One of the reasons God tests us is because he's developing perseverance. And the next verse is important because it says perseverance must finish its work. In other words, there's no point unless perseverance is continued to the very end. There's no point. It isn't perseverance. 50%, 80%, 90% is not perseverance. It has to go all the way to its conclusion. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's why God tests us. That's why God tested Abraham. The people that I admire most are the ones who have faced great suffering, great tests, and did not get bitter. They have an amazing depth of character. They have rich insight. They have genuine compassion. I would like to be more like that when I grow up. But without the suffering, no more tests, please. Wouldn't it be great if the prosperity gospel was actually true? That's why it's so popular. We'd, we'd love it if it, was, if it was true. But the painful truth is that suffering is what humbles us and humanizes us, makes us sensitive to what others are going through, makes us compassionate, makes us willing to bear one another's burdens. Nothing else can produce that but suffering, as long as we face it in the right way. And so Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There is no Christianity without trials and without suffering. We need to pick up our cross, and the cross is only about one thing. It's death, our death. Every test is a death sentence on our self-sufficiency, our self-centeredness, our self-pity, our self-importance. Our old self will not die without suffering. And so sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied, then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. That's interesting. He said, your only son. He didn't say, take your youngest son. He said, take your only son. Ishmael didn't count. Okay? Take your only son Isaac, whom you love. There was never a father who loved a son more than Abraham. Abraham had waited a hundred years for Isaac. And when he was born, it was like a dam burst. A century of hardened disappointment crumbled and love poured out. No father ever loved a son more than Abraham. Not on this planet anyway. So take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Wow. That's one of the verses that I'm sure becomes a great stumbling block to a lot of people. 
When you're reading through the Bible and you start in Genesis, you know, you've got to work your way past the flood. That's kind of tough. You've got to work your way past Sodom and Gomorrah. That's shocking. But then you get to Genesis 22, 20, uh, verse 2, and I think at this point, some people would just close the Bible and walk away. I don't want anything to do with this kind of stuff. This is horrific. This is barbaric. This is what the demon gods of the Canaanites were demanding. Child sacrifice. How could the true God ask such a thing? It contradicts everything we know about our Heavenly Father. Besides, Isaac is the future of the kingdom of God. Without him, there's no hope. This would be the end of everything. Abraham's whole life would be wasted. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. There's only two ways to react to this. For either we turn away in disgust, or we discern that God has to be up to something. We don't like it, we don't understand it, but we will follow him because we have to find out. Where is he taking this? So we proceed with fear and trembling. And Abraham probably took a week to process this and try to figure out, is there, is there another way? Can I come back with a counteroffer? You want to see faith in action? Look at verse 3. Early the next morning, early the next morning, Abraham took, got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Abraham is not the most exciting character in the Bible. They make movies about Noah and Moses and David, dynamic revolutionary, but Abraham, not so much. Until we get to this verse when it says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey and off they went. That is what you call an action hero. No delay, he's actually going to go through with this. And notice that he didn't talk it over with Sarah. You can imagine how that would have gone over. Abraham did not need a second opinion. This was between him and God. Verse 4 says, On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So Abraham had three days to think this through, to reconsider. Were there doubts? Was there a hissing sound in his subconscious? Did God really say? You know, people who don't have a close relationship with God play a lot of word games with Scripture. Did God really mean that, what he said? You know, there's all these different opinions. Bible scholars are good at that. But when you're friends, you don't have to second guess. When you're talking to a friend, the meaning is clear. Verse 5, he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Did you notice that? He didn't say, we will worship and then I'll come back. He said, we'll come back. I wonder what he meant by that. We will come back. Verse 6, Abraham took wood for the burnt offering and placed it on the 
on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. This trip, this ascent of this mountain, Moriah, was probably far more difficult than any who have attempted to reach the summit of Everest. Isaac spoke to his father and said this to his father Abraham. Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac still had no idea what was going to happen. This was between Abraham and God. In his innocence, Isaac asked the most important question in human history. Where is the lamb? We got the wood, we got the fire, but where is the lamb? Since paradise lost, salvation was all about the lamb. A substitute had to be sacrificed on your behalf for forgiveness of sins and for reconciliation with God. The transaction always required a sacrifice. So dad, if we're going to approach God today in worship, where is the lamb? Of course, that question wouldn't be answered for another 2,000 years when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that wouldn't be for another 2,000 years. So the question remained, where is the Lamb? Abraham and Isaac had performed numerous sacrifices together. The procedure was very familiar. They picked the best lamb from the flock. They examined it to make sure it was unblemished. They tied it up as it struggled to escape. And then you took one last look in the eyes. You lifted the victim's chin. And then the knife slashed across the throat, severing the main artery. And the blood gushed out. And death was almost instantaneous. It was serious business. Because sin is not a trivial matter. Salvation always required death. So dad, where is the lamb? Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. Now watch this. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. How did that happen? Do you think Isaac struggled? Did he plead for mercy? I mean, Isaac was probably a healthy teenager by now. Approaching the prime of his life, he could have easily tied his old father up instead. This is amazing. Isaac knew his father loved him with all his heart, so he willingly submitted, though he could have easily escaped. He could have ran all the way to Egypt. But he knew he could trust his father who completely trusted God. Verse 10, Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. If this was Hollywood, the director would have yelled, Cut! and sent in a stunt double to finish the scene. You know, the main stars aren't allowed to take risks when filming dangerous scenes. But Abraham was all alone. He had no stunt men. He had to perform this difficult maneuver all by himself. He reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And the procedure would be exactly the same. You grab the chin 
you take one last look into the eyes of your helpless victim, and then you slash your knife across the throat, cutting the main artery as the blood poured out, death would be almost instantaneous. I can't believe he's going through with this. He's actually going to do it. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And I, I wonder if Abraham, just, just a minute, I'm in the middle of something. I have to finish what I started. The angel called out, Abraham, Abraham. In the Bible, whenever a person's name is mentioned twice, it's because the matter is of utmost importance and urgency. Nothing else matters. Pay attention. Listen. Stop what you're doing and listen. The angel called out, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. That's what he said in verse 1. Exactly the same thing. And this is one of Abraham's best qualities. He's always listening to God, always prepared to respond at a moment's notice. Could you imagine what would have happened if Abraham was still inconsistent in his obedience? If he'd listened to God in verse 1, but ignored his voice in verse 11. You see, this is why it is so important to obey every time, not just every other time. Because there's a workflow to obedience, and if you miss something, there could be some serious consequences. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What did that feel like? I don't know. This is not necessary. I don't have to do this. I don't have to slash the throat of my only son, sever the main artery and the blood pours out. I don't have to do this. No, it's not necessary because death will be defeated. It'll be swallowed up in victory. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Abraham experienced when the angel stopped him. And this is no angel, by the way. This is someone with great authority. Now I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. I don't think this happened because God didn't know what Abraham was going to do. I think it was more the fact that Abraham didn't know. And we didn't know. And now we all know. Because this was not about Isaac's death at all. This was about Abraham's death. Before his faith could grow to maturity and be complete, he had to die to himself. He had to be willing to give up everything for God. And that's what he did. Would you give up everything for God? Would I? Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, 
your only son. Abraham was prepared to give up everything for God. And on Mount Moriah, he proved it. It wasn't theoretical. Maybe Isaac actually had to pry his fingers off the knife handle because his grip was locked on. He was going to go through with this no matter what. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Can you imagine how much Abraham's faith had grown in that experience? I wonder if we could measure it. In fact, I think we could. His faith can be measured. It was exactly 2,000 years ahead of its time. Because in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it explains something about this that Genesis doesn't. Hebrews eleven seventeen, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God, God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now this is the key thing. Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham was prepared to go through with it to turn his son's corpse into a burnt offering because he knew God could resurrect him. He had to because that was the promise. And friends always keep their promise. That's why he told the servants, you know, we're going to go worship and then we will come back. We'll come back either with Isaac or Isaac 2.0. This would not end in death. When we're following God in faith, it never does. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Every trial is an opportunity to experience more of God and to appreciate his character at greater magnitude. And every trial is an opportunity to appreciate more of the cross. We will never know how much it cost, but the man who came closest to understanding the cost of the cross was Abraham, because God invited him to come into the fellowship of his sufferings. And the essence of friendship is understanding, it's empathy, I know what you're going through. And that's what happened to Abraham. He understood. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And that is why it had to be in this place. It had to be here. It's Mount Moriah. Because this is the place that would become the center stage for the longest-running passion play in human history. 
This is where King David would bring the Ark of the Covenant. This is where King Solomon would build his temple on this hill. Hundreds of thousands of lambs would be sacrificed in the great pageantry of atonement. Because Mount Moriah was renamed Mount Zion a thousand years later by David. So Abraham's offering was actually the opening night performance in the theater of redemption, Act 1, Scene 1. It had to be in this place because 2,000 years later, in the fullness of time, God would provide a lamb without blemish. He would provide his only son who would be slain on this very hill. That's why it was here. And on this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. On that hill, your heavenly Father gave up everything for you. Everything. But he's not just your Father. He also wants to be your best friend forever and ever. So when the trials come, don't be afraid. Pick up your cross and follow him. You will never be the same again. You will understand him as you never have before. Father, we thank you for the cross. Help us to be, have the courage not to turn from our trials, but to be willing to walk into them at your invitation because you're up to something. Help us to understand in a greater way what the cross means so that we can appreciate you to a much greater extent. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for a closing song. Thought that 